Well, good morning once again, Maranatha. It's good to be here. Good to see everyone this morning. I'm going to uh, read Psalm 121. That's uh, our text this morning. And uh, I know next week is uh, a big event for us as uh, three elders are installed. And we look forward to that day of celebration. And then the following Sunday, if you want to read ahead, uh, on February the 14th, we'll begin a series on the letter of 1 John. So if you want to start uh, preparing for that series, you can begin reading uh, 1 John, and uh, we'll make our way through that letter um, for the rest of uh, the spring, certainly. The psalm is uh, one that is called the Psalm of Ascents. I'll explain that more in just a moment. And it is a, a pilgrim song, and the psalmist writes as follows. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your holiness, your character, which is immutable and unchangeable, for your power, for your glory, and for your mercy. Father, we ask this morning, as we have undertaken already, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would help us to receive your word, that you would indeed break the hard and stony ground of our hearts, plant your word uh, deep within us, that it may bear fruit for your good and for your glory and for the good of our neighbor. Open our ears and our eyes, O Lord God, lead us into your truth. And above all, we pray that you would show us Christ, that you would reveal your glory through the preaching of your word until every heart, O Lord God, confesses Christ and worships him as true God and very Savior of us all. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are. Uh, we made it to the end of January. And so as my uh, next-door neighbor used to ask us, how you doing? <laughs> in that in the, the strong New York, Long Island accent that I go, how you doing? We realize, of course, that with the change of a new year, one of the things that becomes apparent to us is that simply turning the page on the calendar changes the date, but not our circumstances. And so as we come to the end of the first month of this new year, we can, with some modification, uh, look at the months ahead and say, as does the psalmist, I lift up my eyes to 2021. Where does my help come from? In the midst of the circumstances in which we now find ourselves, and like we will continue to find ourselves for some time, we understand much as the psalmist does, that in moments like this, in moments of uncertainty, our help indeed comes from the Lord who made 2021 and who calls us to walk forward into it 
with every confidence in his ability to provide and to lead and to care for us. Psalm 121, as I mentioned, belongs to a group of psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. You'll find those Psalms 120 to 134. Each psalm in the Song of Ascent, that little library of pilgrim songs, addresses God by his covenant name, the Lord. You see that in your English translations, it's all capitalized. And whenever you see the Lord's name like that, written in all capital letters, that's referring to his covenant name, Yahweh, I Am. And so there is a strong covenantal intimacy that each of the songs of ascent invites us into, that we have the privilege to address God by this covenant name, this name by which he revealed himself to Moses, indeed, all of the great patriarchs and forerunners of the faith. These psalms of ascent would be sung by pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem to celebrate the three feasts that God had commanded Israel to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. The Feast of Passover, the, the Feast of Pentecost, and then the Feast of Pente- uh, the Tabernacles. And they would sing these psalms. They would recite them to themselves and to one another as a way of encouraging each other, and then sort of building up the anticipation and excitement of coming together for worship. Some way, we, you may do this at home. Um, if you listen to, let's say, praise songs on a Sunday morning before you come to church or in your car as you go to work, because you want to put your mind in the right frame. You want to set your heart on things that are above. And so the songs of ascent are aimed at doing that. You read Psalm 121, And the the big idea of the psalm really comes down to this, that wherever we go, whatever we do, the Lord is the help of all those who trust in him. So that whatever you're doing, wherever you are, the Lord is there in your midst to be your help. And the way the psalm is going to break forth as as I uh, will preach it is, we'll look at first that the Lord helps those who cannot help themselves. Read the first two verses of Psalm 121. The psalmist acknowledges the fact that he is about to undertake a journey into the hills that God has called him into. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where comes my help? He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, in all likelihood, the the hills that the psalmist is talking about here are the hills that surround Jerusalem. The hills that surrounded the holy city, the place that they were called to go up into in order to worship. So while the goal of going up into those hills is a good one to go to the temple, to worship God, to enjoy his presence, to fellowship with other believers, at the same time, going into the hills is a bit of a dangerous exercise, especially back then, because things lurked in those hills, thieves, robbers, all sorts of dangers, known and unknown, anticipated and unanticipated. And so the psalmist is concerned that as he makes his way and as his fellow pilgrims make their way into those hills, that they would have an ever-present supply of help from the Lord who made them. So there's that reminder of it. Now, having said that, let's be aware that not all hills are made of earth and soil and rock and stone. Some hills come in the form of the effects of an ongoing pandemic and the fallout and the circumstances of businesses that have been shuttered, 
students that are having to wrestle with doing homeschool from you know, home over the internet via Zoom. Perhaps even a, a tension-filled work environment. The stress of parenting in a pandemic, especially if you have young ones and little ones. Unemployment. There's an anxiety over the future. There's, some of us are dealing with grief or broken relationships. And some are even wrestling and battling through depression. So not all hills are made of earth and stone and rock and soil. Whatever hills there are before us, however, the psalmist wants us to know we have this assurance. Whatever are the hills that we face, whatever are the hills in which we now find ourselves journeying through in order to worship God as we worship God, that wherever we go, whatever we do, the Lord is the help for all those who trust in him. And that he helps those who cannot help themselves. There's a confession there, isn't there, by the psalmist. He needs some outside source of assistance in order to go into those hills. He cannot find it from within himself. But he must appeal to the one who made those hills to help him. I have a, a friend who has uh, run the, the Boston Marathon several times. The first time he ran uh, the Boston Marathon, he was not prepared to face what has, what's known as Heartbreak Hill. Uh, Heartbreak Hill is a series of three hills, actually, and I don't know if the marathon planners did this intentionally, but the Heartbreak Hill comes strategically at the 20-mile mark of the Boston Marathon. So there are six more miles to go when you have to ascend these three hills. And so Heartbreak Hill, my friend was not prepared to face it. So the first time he encountered these three hills, it, he hit the wall. And he was forced to quit the race. The second time he ran the marathon, knowing what he was going to face, he told his wife and uh, friends that had come with him to uh, cheer him on, he said, tell you what, go ahead of me to the start of Heartbreak Hill. And then when you see me, I want you to sort of run alongside um, and just cheer me on and give me words of encouragement to keep me going. And that's what they did. And, and my friend, he wanted to quit by the time he got there. But because of the encouragement of his wife and friends and children, he made it to the top and he went on to, to finish the race. He didn't win, but he, he went on to finish the race. Now, please forgive me if, uh, if what I say next sounds cliché. There is a sense, obviously, in which life is like running a marathon. Sometimes we have to run up a series of heartbreak hills in our pursuit of the very thing that God has called us to pursue, whether it's a, a, a job, a ministry, a family, a confrontation that we must engage in in order to achieve reconciliation or or express that there is a, a, a gap that needs to be filled by the peace of Christ. Hills, understand, they challenge our ability to continue. They challenge our mind's ability to convince our body to keep going even when our body wants to quit. Hills will also convince us, if we're humble enough to recognize it and acknowledge it, 
that we don't have the stamina to run up those hills. That we need help to keep running and to eventually finish the race. The psalmist realized that. That's why he says, by way of confession, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In some ways, he's, he's even echoing, if you will, what, I, what Zechariah the prophet says in Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so there are those times when you're not going to have the gas. You're not going to have the emotional, the spiritual, even the physical stamina to go through what God has called you to go through. But because God has called you to go through it, says the psalmist, we can rely upon him to help us run those hills, walk through those hills, <laughs> at times even crawl up those hills. To, to use a biblical term, what the psalmist is describing here is that life is an exodus. It's an exodus away from the life that we used to live apart from God and toward and further up and further into the new life that we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. The poets would describe this life as a long obedience in the same direction. It begins this new life. It begins the moment we are raised from spiritual death, having served the, the God of this world, and raised to spiritual life to serve the God who caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes the life of faith, the, the life that calls us to follow Christ, it is, it's like running or walking or even crawling up a series of heartbreak hills. And yet, even though the life of faith is not always an easy life, the psalmist would have us know that it is the only life that leads to life after this life. It is the only life that allows us to experience the true life that God has come to give to us through his word, through trust ultimately in his son. And so that when we look up to the hills, when you look into that tense work situation, when you look into that season of affliction, that trial, when you look into that relationship that needs mending, when you look into another day of having to deal with whining and complaining and all of the things that happen when you're trying to raise young kids and get them to school on time or even get yourself to work on time, know this, that wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you are, your help to do the thing that God has called you to do comes from him who made you, and who made those circumstances into which he calls you. It's interesting, too, to know that that word help suggests help that is provided from a person uh, rather than an instruction manual. It's help that is given by a flesh and blood human being, not some automated voice at the end of the line saying, all our customer representatives are busy at this time. Estimated wait time is. One of the earliest uses of this word help is in Genesis 2.18. God is there referring to Adam. He looks at Adam's situation. Having created Adam from the dust of the earth, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make, therefore, a helper 
fit for him. And so you know what happens if you read Genesis 2. God brings all of the creatures that he has made before Adam. And then there's that sad, sad verse at the end of it. that, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And then the next thing God does is he causes a sleep to come upon Adam. He opens his side, takes out a rib, and from the rib he makes the woman Eve. And when Adam wakes up and he sees Eve, the first thing he says is, wow! Trust me, that's what the Hebrew means. (laughs) Wow! This is the one! She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh because she was taken out of man. And at that moment, what Adam was saying was, this woman whom you have created is exactly the kind of helper that I need to make me feel whole. And that Adam was exactly the kind of helper that Eve needed to be made whole. So when the psalmist looks up to those hills, when you look up into circumstances, into situations that you do not feel adequate to face, the psalmist, the Bible tells us, be of courage. Because the Lord is exactly the helper you need to go into those hills. He is exactly the kind of helper that you need to be whole and complete. Literally, you could say that rather than saying, my help comes from the Lord, the psalmist is telling us, my help is the Lord. His very presence is the help that I need. His very presence is the assurance that I have. And the way that now we enter and experience that assurance is certainly by reading his word, certainly by praying, and and as Pastor Eric encouraged us uh, in a sermon from Psalm 27, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and spending time in deep thought and contemplation about what it means to live daily in his presence. That is the help that God is to those who trust in him. The Lord who created heaven and earth also created the circumstances in which we live and move and have our being. There are are a lot of times when we encounter things and we react the way our our kids used to react. Well, I didn't see that coming. But God did because he ordained it to happen just that way. So that he who made the hills made us. You might even say that he who made the hills also made us for the hills. He made the hills for us and he made us for the hills. And he would not call us to follow him into those hills were he not confident that he could provide all the help we need to go into those hills and further on and further up into his presence. And that's his promise to us, isn't it? It's a promise that Jesus reiterates at the end of Matthew's gospel, right? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. He is the good shepherd to whom you can trust to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He is our guardian, guide, and shield. He is our constant protector and our faithful provider of everything we need. And nothing Nothing can ever separate us from his love. There are some circumstances into which we enter that, yeah, we didn't anticipate 
things going the way they did. <clears throat> when we were moving here, some of you may know uh, or know this. Well, you know the story, right? So you you got the email. <laughs> I, I learned very quickly, and I learned the hard way. You, you do not drive a truck with a 13-foot, 1-inch clearance under a bridge that has an 11-foot, 7-inch clearance. just doesn't work. Uh, <clears throat> the math, the physics, gravity, everything was against me at that point, uh, including my own common sense. But the Lord knew what was going to happen, permitted it to happen, because he helps those who can't help themselves. I remember backing that truck up looking at the damage that I had caused, thinking, what are we going to do now? And, and in his great foresight, what God had done was our friend uh, Michaela had agreed to drive with us, our, our second car, that day rather than wait until the weekend. And she got on the phone, and I got on the phone with Pastor John, and people began scrambling to be on the ready she called her in-laws who live in Franklin, and they rushed right out. I called the Penske people, and thankfully, I didn't get. All of our customer representatives are busy at this time. I had a person who came to my help. And within a matter of hours, they had a replacement truck, they had a moving team come, and they unloaded all of the stuff from the damaged truck into the new truck. And even more in terms of God's foresight, I remember the day that I actually ordered the truck, the woman at the counter there asked me, do you want to take the, uh, the damage limit, uh, insurance in case something happens to the truck? Now, normally in my pride, I say, yeah, I'm a good driver. But that day, I said, I think so. I'll take it. So I didn't even know that I was helping myself by saying yes to something like that. Sometimes the Lord sends us help in the form of others who come alongside to help us when we can't help ourselves. When we've made a mistake, when we've made an error in judgment, when we have committed a sin, and we look at ourselves in horror and think, that's not me. That's not who I am. And we need someone to help us stay grounded and saying, well, you know what? That's exactly who you are. Because you, like I, are fallible, and we make mistakes. And we need the help of others to remind us that we have a God who is good and gracious and loving, who calls us into the hills to follow him. And sometimes, sometimes we're going to rely on others who are the very expression of God's help to us. Because the reason why he does that leads to the next set of verses. The Lord helps those who cannot help themselves and the Lord helps those who cannot help themselves by promising to keep us from falling away from him. He'll not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber, writes the psalmist. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Keep track of that word keep. He watches over us. He maintains a guardianship over us. And to understand these verses, we have to remember that the psalms are poetry. And poetry often uses metaphor to express a deeper reality. In verse 3, for example, when the psalmist says, he will not let your foot be moved, he isn't saying that we will never slip on the ice, that we will never stub our toe, or that we will never trip over our children's toys in the middle of the night while we're going to the washroom. 
People slip on the ice. People stub their toes. Parents trip over their children's toys all the time. If you ask my wife, she'll tell you I trip over my feet all the time. It just happens. Big feet, I trip over them. The point of verse 3 is this, that when tragedies come upon us, when we suffer a season of affliction, when we are tripped up by some anxiety, we have this assurance. The Lord will keep you from tumbling off the path that he has called you to walk in order to follow him. That when circumstances put obstacles in your way, when they make the ground beneath your feet uneven and you're not sure about the next step that you're going to take, the Lord will keep you from falling away from him, from falling out of his care. He will not let your foot be moved. It means that he will never let go of your hand. He will always uphold you. So there's every reason to have faith. There's every reason to be bold and courageous. There's every reason to have hope that as the Lord was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so also the Lord is with us. That's his promise. That as the Lord was with Moses and Joshua and David, so the Lord is with us. So as the Lord was with Peter and James and John and Paul, so also the Lord is with us. He helps us by keeping us from falling away from him. So that when we face adversity, when we face anxiety, when we face a season of affliction, our thought is not, how can I get myself out of this, but how can the Lord now, who promised me help, help me through this? That I will rely upon him, that I will not grow weary in well-doing, that I will not give in to encouragement, but I will indeed, as the scriptures encourage us, cast our burdens, cast our anxieties, cast our fears onto the one who made us for those very circumstances. I think we lose sight of that sometimes, don't we? When we go through a season of affliction or of trial, we think, God, I can't do this. And he's saying, you can't unless I help you. And the reason why you can't is so that you can now give that to me so that I may help you walk through it. And it's interesting, too, how the psalmist phrases it, right? He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I have a friend who jokes. He's a, he's a young guy. He is a, he's a go-getter. He's a hard worker. He, he has said many, many times, sleep is for mortals. I think many parents feel that same way. Right? Sleep is for mortals. <clears throat> sleep was also the characteristic of the pagan gods. Remember the encounter, if you, read, you read about this in, in Kings, where Elijah is going after the prophets of Baal, and you know, the prophets of Baal are trying to rouse Baal to come to their aid, and, and Elijah is teasing them, saying, you know, maybe he's gone on vacation, maybe he's asleep. You've know, you got to yell louder. Well, God never sleeps. He's always on duty. He is uh, always alert. He is the ever-alert guardian of those who trust in him, says the psalmist. He's always... Here's the thing. This is how neatly the scripture sort of interlocks with one another. The reason why God is always aware of our needs is because his son is always praying for us in our need. Remember Hebrews 7.25, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he ever lives to intercede, to pray for us. So there's never a need that we will encounter that we can go to God for help and God say, you got me. I didn't, this, I, 
Let me go to the back room and see if we have that size. No, he knows because he's created the hills into which he has called us to walk into. He has created the circumstances into which we find ourselves, and he has promised to help us through them, that we might indeed follow him and worship him. One of my favorite hymns is by John Newton. Now, we know Newton wrote Amazing Grace and some other hymns, but maybe one of his lesser-known hymns, but equally as powerful, is Though Troubles Assail Us. Though Troubles Assail Us is a hymn that celebrates and reminds us of God's promise of constant care and vigilance over us to always provide what we need when he knows we need it. Two of the stanzas that stand out from that hymn are these. Though troubles assail us and dangers affright, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us whatever betide, the promise assures us, the Lord will provide. When Satan assails us to stop up our path and courage all fails, we triumph by faith. He cannot take from us, though oft he has tried, this heart-cheering promise, the Lord will provide. Now you dovetail that with what Jesus says in Matthew 5 as the introduction into the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 as well, that the Lord knows what we need before we ask him. So that there's no moment in which when we go to God in prayer, trusting him to provide, that God is unaware of the thing that we need but is in fact ordained the very circumstances in which we find ourselves to prompt within us the cry for his help to give us the thing that we need. And what we need most of all is that assurance of his presence. That, I think, is the, is the, the thing that the, the psalmist desires most of all. Some of us, there's that sense in which, um, I have to say this, you can endure anything as long as you have a friend to endure it with. You, you, you have the ability to withstand anything as long as you're not alone in the midst of it. You have someone to hold your hand, someone to cry with you, someone to weep with you, someone to cheer you up, someone to just come alongside. That's the help that God offers to us here that very real presence. We, we talk about keeping in step with the Spirit and sensing the Spirit's presence. That's part of what the psalmist is getting at. That he is indeed the one who helps the helpless, who keeps us from falling away, our guardian, guide, and shield, our constant protector, our faithful provider, from whom nothing in heaven or earth or under the earth can separate us that he is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, that in all things he works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and that one day, one day he promises to make all things new and to put all things right, that he will administer justice to the unrepentant, and that he will vindicate the patient righteous. So we have that hope, the hope of God's help, the hope of God's ultimate restoration of all things in Christ and through Christ and by Christ, that wherever we go, whatever we do, he is the help of those who trust in him.
that he helps those who cannot help themselves, that he promises to keep us from falling away. And then the last group of verses, that he watches over those who trust him. The Lord is your keeper, writes the psalmist. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now again, the psalmist is using metaphor here. This is poetry. In the same way that Jesus prays and teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us um, from evil, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the, the sort of the, that's the sentiment here that's expressed by the psalmist. He knows, the psalmist does, that the same sun that uh, whispers the coming of summer in that first warm day in April is the same sun under which we will swelter in August. Right? The, the same full moon that we enjoyed a day ago and under which invites us to take a romantic walk is the same moon that will laugh at us when we cannot sleep. And so the psalmist understands that at those moments, our help in that regard must come from the one who made the sun, who made the moon. And the protection that he offers is similar to the protection that he offered to Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. Right? The pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night to shade them. And Moses says, as he you know, tells Israel in Deuteronomy, think of over the 40 years that you wandered in the wilderness. Your sandals didn't wear out, your clothes didn't rot, but God took care of you. God provided for you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. He is that buddy. He is that guy that stands next to you, that faithful friend that is your shield and protector that you can always lean on and depend upon. What the psalmist is really describing here is what theological types will describe as God's omniscience, the fact that he knows everything, and God's omnipresence, the fact that God is everywhere present, that he is not unaware of the circumstances into which he has called us, and that in every situation into which he has called us, he bids us to trust in him. And one reason why I like this psalm is it because it tells me what to do when I feel overwhelmed. Lift up your eyes to the hills, Malanga. Where does your help come from? It's a reminder. Your help comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from your wits. It doesn't come from your will. It doesn't come from your heart. It doesn't come from looking within. It doesn't come from darkening the room, lighting candles, and putting on an essential oil. If anything, it comes from opening the word and diving headlong into it. It comes from the, that utter expression of helplessness, like Peter. Lord, save me. And Jesus doesn't say, well, let's just let you flail around a little bit, Peter, and see how that feels. No, immediately he reaches out and saves. When God calls you to follow him into the hills, to, I like how um, I got ahead of myself. Let me express it this way. I think the way that uh, Paul Tripp says it, sums up the intent of the psalmist here. Tripp says, God will call you to face the unthinkable in order to form you into what is unachievable apart from his grace. God will call you to face the unthinkable in order to form in you what is unachievable apart from his grace. 
He will take you where you do not want to go to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. And that is Christ-likeness. That is utter and complete dependence upon him. When God calls you to follow him into the hills, to, fo- to face the unthinkable, to face the unknowable, his grace will give you the courage to do what you must do and could not do apart from his help. And here is more good news. That God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ has already walked those hills. He's blazed that trail. And he has left us the trail mark. He has left us the evidence of his presence so that we are not alone when we walk on those trails. And that God will not lead you where Christ has not already walked. That the Lord who made those hills will use those hills to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own, which is a Christ-likeness, which is an ever-deepening and sweet appreciation and dependence upon Christ. So that if those hills, and they do represent an unknown future, if they represent what we cannot know now, but know that God has called us into, Of this we can be certain. While we do not know what the future holds, we know the one who creates the future. We know the one who calls us to go into that future. He is our helper. He is our maker. He is our creator. He is our God. He is our savior. He is our comforter. He is our constant companion, our faithful provider, our guide, our guardian, our friend. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, that we might then give testimony to his goodness and to his glory. I have another friend, and he's a, he and I are both sort of reform types, and we, we tell sort of these inside jokes. And there's an old joke about the Calvinist who fell down a flight of stairs, falls down a flight of stairs, gets to the bottom, all beaten up and bruised, says out loud, well, it was God's will, but I'm glad it's over. (laughs) That's what the psalmist is telling us. But even in that moment of being bruised by our circumstances, we understand that we can never be so bruised as to be out-bruised, in a sense, by his son. We can never suffer more than his son endured. And it is because his son has suffered that we can endure whatever afflictions, whatever suffering, whatever trials come our way. And at the same time, because Jesus did that for the joy set before him, there is joy in that, in knowing that God has led us through that for the purpose of forming in us his son, and that he can do it only in that way. That's the essence of our faith. And we can follow him then into the future because we know that we can follow him into the future by faith because faith is essentially trusting God in the present based on what he's done for us in the past so that we can depend on him for our future. We trust God now based on what he's done for us in the past so that we can depend on him for the future. You start with the cross and then you work your way forward. So wherever we go, whatever we do, the Lord is our helper. And he is the help of all of those who trust in him.
there's a, a story that's often associated with this psalm, and um, it happened, uh, takes place in the days before GPS, before you could find a way to, uh, you know, go to a place unknown on your phone, or, or even those of us who remember the days of MapQuest, when you could go online and, you know, print out directions. This was back in the days when all you had was a map or somebody gave you directions over the phone. And they were going to a, a part of town they had not been before, and they were, they were late for dinner, and the husband was driving, and, you know, <coughs> um, men are afflicted with this, this disease of prideful navigation. We just, it's all by dead reckoning, you know, just a little bit further, I'll make a right, and I'll get there. So after being desperately lost for several minutes, the, the, the husband did the wise thing and listened to his wife, and he asked the pol local policeman for directions. And the policeman's directions, of course, you're trying to write this down, you can't. It's at night, and he's saying, you know, you go up two blocks, you make a left, you go three blocks to the light, there's a gas, you, go, you make another left, four more blocks, he said, and then finally he realized as the driver's eyes were glazing over, the cop just looked at him and says, look, just stick close and follow me. So what is God saying to Maranatha Grace through Psalm 121? The Lord helps those who cannot help themselves. The Lord promises to keep us from falling away from him. The Lord watches over those who trust in him. That wherever we go, whatever we do, wherever we are, the Lord is the helper of all who trust in him. He is our guardian, our guide, our shield our constant protector, and our faithful provider. Nothing <clears throat> in heaven and earth can separate us from his love. So stick close and follow him. You think about that. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father... Your power is infinite, your wisdom is infallible. And so we ask that you would order things that they may neither hinder nor discourage us, nor prove obstacles to the progress of your cause and your will in us. Stand between us and all strife, that no evil come upon us, no sin corrupt the use of the gifts that you have given to us, or any achievement or any zeal that we may have on your behalf. May we follow, O Lord God, in obedience all that you have called us to do and not any foolish device of our own making. Permit us, Lord God, not to labor at work which you will not bless, that we would serve you without disgrace or doubt. Let us dwell under your shadow where there, is, where there we are safe and experience impenetrable protection from the arrow that flies by day, the virus that walks in darkness, the strife of tongues, the malice of ill will, the hurt of unkind talk, the snares of company, the perils of youth, the temptations of middle age, the griefs of old age, the fear of death. We are entirely dependent upon you for your support, your counsel, your consolation. Uphold us by your spirit. And may we not think it enough to be saved from falling, but may we always go forward, always abounding in the work that you give us to do, Strengthen us by your spirit in our inner being for every purpose in the Christian life. All our possessions we give to the shadow of the safety that is in you. Our name anew in Christ, our body, our soul, our talents, our character, 
our identity, our success, our singleness, our wives, our husbands, our children, our friends, our work, our present, our future, our destiny. Take them. They are yours. And we are yours now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.